about 10 o'clock thanking me for preaching for him today. I now know why. He didn't want to follow that music either. Let's give our choir another round of applause. That's great. What? You've never seen a chain before? We'll get to that in a minute. We're in the midst of Advent celebrating the upcoming birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And over the past several weeks, we've had a lot of focus on the themes of Advent. Today, we heard about joy, both in word, in song, and also in drama. And surely, there's no greater joy than realizing that God sent his son to redeem me from my sins. There's an enthusiasm, an excitement, an expectation about Christmas. It seems to bring out, for some reason, the very best in people. People are smiling, people are shopping. People are baking, people singing. From all appearances, it's a really, really happy time, full of expectations. Gifts we expect to give, gifts we expect to get. Friends and family will get to see. Food will get to eat with only a small amount of guilt. At least that's what it looks like on the outside. But in addition to those expectations, Christmas also brings a variety of questions. And those questions come from a variety of people, but they all seem to focus around that great debate, what is the real meaning of Christmas? A good response to that question might be, Christmas is real. What are you going to do with Jesus? And for those of us that have answered that question in our lives, we know what we're doing with Jesus. The next one should be, how will I live my life for Jesus? But as I've gotten older, there's a third question that keeps coming to my mind, And that is that God has placed me on a journey, and he's placed you on a journey. And at the end of that journey, will I ask the question, what might I have left undone along the way? What might I not have done that God had called me to do? And not just the what of what he expects on this journey, but the how of how he expects me to do it. So perhaps my focus should not be on my expectations for Christmas, but maybe on God's expectations of me at Christmas. Our scripture verse today is from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. But before we delve into that, I realize that most of you don't really know me. So I thought I would give you a short history of Jeff. And perhaps a pictorial history might help explain a little bit about me. And don't worry about the chain. The chain comes later. So let's, let's talk about Jeff through a few pictures. First of all, let me introduce you to Pious Jeff. (laughs) Now that's sweet, you got to admit. Looks very pious, very holy on the outside. But what about what's going on on the inside? Let me flash forward about 15 years from that day to December of 1971 when I was discharged from the Army. And let me introduce you to Army Jeff. A little rough on the outside. I told Jerry Gudgel we photoshopped something out on the right side, but that's okay. But a little rough on the outside, but again, what's God doing on his inside? Fast forward maybe two more decades. Let me introduce you to business guy, Jeff. Looks pretty confident on the outside, but is he so certain on the inside? And finally, let me introduce you to minister Jeff. It's got the servant look on the outside, but is there some baggage on the inside? 
You see, just like Christmas, what we see on the outside is not always what God knows is really on the inside. So with that in mind, let's go to God's Word. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10-11, through 11, if you have your Bibles open. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and your election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fail, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, you might ask what that passage has to do with Christmas. But I tell you that there's no better time than this time of the year when people are more open to God and the things of God. They look to those who call ourselves Christians to help answer some of the questions that they might not ask on the outside, but I promise you those questions are there on the inside. Because, again, what we see on the outside is not what God knows is on the inside. And sometimes even those of us who call ourselves Christians have questions we need to ask. So the first thing that strikes me in this passage is the phrase, be all the more eager. Eager is an active, not a passive word. It calls us to action on the inside. It's the attitude we bring to the things that we do. The Apostle Paul speaks of eagerness in the book of Titus. In Titus chapter 2, verse 14, he states, He gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people of his own, eager to do what is good. There's that word eager. Think of that. God wants to purify for himself a people who are eager. But why should we be eager? Well, all you have to do is look at the last part of our passage today for the answer. It's so that you will receive a rich welcome. And make sure you know rich means enthusiastic. The kind of welcome you reserve for friends and family you've not seen for a while and have missed so much. Our daughter Jessica lives with her husband in Germany. He's an Air Force pilot. And she came home for a couple of weeks before Thanksgiving. She has two children, Tucker, who's about 20, 21 months, and Maggie Grace, who's four months and a couple of weeks. Tucker is speaking okay, but he can't pronounce a B. So a B, excuse me, a P. A B comes out different. So he calls me Pops. And as I came home with Jessica and Tucker, I opened the door. All I heard was bops, bops. And he comes running up and he throws his arms around my shoulder. And I can assure you that is a rich welcome. That's the kind of welcome that we want to hear from the Lord Jesus. And I think it's very important for us to recognize that all of us who trust in Jesus will receive a welcome of one form or another. But what will that welcome be? Will it be, well done, good and faithful servant? Or will it be, wow, Jeff, you missed a few things I wanted you to do. Why don't you listen a little better? My mom passed away about almost eight years ago now. She had polio when she was 19. And polio comes back in what's called post-polio syndrome. And it hit mom in her late 60s, early 70s. So for those last several years of her life, she was in and out of hospitals a lot. We got a call one night, I think it was about 3 o'clock in the morning, that mom had had some type of catastrophic event and we needed to rush to the hospital. And by the time we got there, they put her on a ventilator machine and some other equipment and uh, they needed to stabilize it or start running some tests. They ran those tests over the next 36 hours. Then the doctor came out and met with us. And it was my dad, myself, my two sisters, and my brother David. And he said that she's basically gone. She said the only thing that's keeping her alive right now is the equipment to which we've connected her. And that we needed as a family to make a decision. We took a few minutes and we prayed, but clearly the decision had already been made. 
Mom left a living will. She was very specific in what she wanted us to do and how she wanted to do it. So with knowing that and with the prayers that we'd offered up, we disconnected mom from the life support equipment. And over the next four to five hours, she slowly slipped away to go home to be with God. And as my dad and I were waiting, he turns to me and he says, do you think we've done the right thing? And I said, dad, the biggest fear I have is when we go to heaven and meet mom, she says, what took you two geniuses so long to figure out what no ventilator meant? What part of my instructions confused you that you couldn't figure out this is what I wanted? God has put his instructions in writing just like mom put her instructions in writing. And it's up, up to us to read them, to know them, and to put them to use. I want that same rich welcome. Well, if we know about the welcome, what about the certainty of my call? In his words, be eager to make your calling sure. People have questions at Christmas. They're uncertain. But when we accept Jesus, God places a call on our lives. Actually, the call is already there. We simply have to do, answer it. That's all we need to do. In 1 Kings chapter 18, he writes, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Elijah knew God's call. He was certain. We too can and should know that for certainty. And if I'm certain that he calls me to do, what specifically is it that he says to do? What things? Well, to find out, you have to look back a few verses. So if you'll turn back up and look at verse 5, you can see how he starts verse 5. And Peter writes, make every effort. So sandwich between make every effort in verse 5 and be all the more eager in verse 10 are seven attributes that have nothing to do with who we are on the outside and everything to do with who he wants us to become on the inside. And it's important to note that Jesus calls us to make the effort to do this. We aren't working for our faith. We're working on our faith. And not just for us, but very often to be equipped by him to do works others. So as you can see in verse 5, he says, add to your faith goodness. To goodness, add knowledge. In verse 6, to knowledge, add self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, add godliness and brotherly love. Excuse me, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, add love. And then he closes with Do these things. Do you see a pattern here? Make every effort. Do these things. Be eager. Please listen carefully. God leads through the power of his Holy Spirit. But it's clear from this passage that we're also to labor through the power of his Spirit. Don't mistake what I'm saying. Faith is fundamental. Galatians chapter 2 verse 16 says, A man is not justified by the works of the law, but by his faith in Jesus. But having received the gift of eternal life through faith in Christ, what are we to do with it? Peter seems to say that the growing of our faith requires some level of effort on our part. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Growing that faith, not just in the acquiring, but very often in the application. You can give me a book on how to speak French, but I have to put the effort into practicing, reading, and learning it. You can give me a set of golf clubs, 
for Christmas. Titleist two X's. Graphite shaft. Regular. Oversized grips. Are you listening, Linda? <laughs> Zach can help you find them. Oh, you can. You can. <laughs> Sorry. You can give me a set of golf clubs, but if I don't practice with them, if I don't put them to use, they'll be of little benefit to me or anybody else. And the same is true with our faith. If we don't take time to practice and put it to use, what benefit will it be? Another way of looking at the giving of that gift is that it implies some level of responsibility on our part. And that part is to use it and to use it for God's glory. I'm reminded of the parable of the three servants in Matthew 25. A ruler was going away and he gave each one of three servants a certain amount of money and told them to invest it wisely. Two of them did. One of them buried it. And when the master came back, he gave it back to him, but he had not invested it. He'd done nothing with it. Oh, to be sure it was safe, to be sure it was secure, but it had gone for naught. And that was the servant who was most heavily criticized. But what does it mean to say, that will never fail. If you read that passage, he's very specific, and he says, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fail. God is at work to do in us and to will for his good pleasure. Trusting in him and the living out of our faith is the very definition of success. We tend to see things in terms of events. God sees things in terms of eternity. Our success or failure is not defined by what happens to us. It is defined by who we become. And in Christ, we are made righteous. He never said it would be easy. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, he says, To this end I labor, struggling with all energy. As I was between services, I was in the pastor's office, and there was an article there about a young military officer named Scott Smiley. 2005, he was serving in Iraq, and he was in a, a vehicle called a striker, and he came across a car, and the car, the back end was really low, and he was concerned that it maybe had explosives in it, and he called the guy out of the car, and the guy wouldn't come, and he says the next thing he remembered was he was waking up in a hospital. The car had detonated, and it ripped shrapnel through his face, and it had blinded him at the age of, I think, 24, 25 years old. Here was a young man who, during his time at West Point, led Bible studies for other cadets. He had married and promised to be a faithful, godly husband to his wife. He taught Sunday school, and he led those soldiers entrusted in his care in daily devotionals. But he sat there in the hospital questioning the event that had happened in his life. And would he continue to be a success, or now having lost his vision, would he be a failure? But very soon he got past looking at the event that had happened and looked in terms of his whole life and his life in terms of eternity. Today, he serves as an instructor at the the academy. He teaches leadership. He teaches Bible studies, and his career is still active, even having lost his sight. Because God looked past the event that struck him blind and looked at the man that he was creating and how he could be used. God promises, if we're faithful, we will not fail. So what keeps us from that rich welcome? What keeps me from being eager? What sometimes keeps me from doing? What sometimes makes me focus on the short-term failures and not the long-term success? Without faith, there's no welcome at all. Remember pious Jeff? Looked pretty good on the outside, but inside, nothing but rules. 
No relationship with Jesus. Oh, there's an intellectual understanding of who he is, but there's no relationship. And eagerness? Not a bit. Then there's Army Jeff. My behavior during those years was not good. Sin ruled my life, and I didn't know it because what I was doing seemed natural. Those sins formed a chain that bound me and kept me from the life that God intended for me. You know, God also says that if we're faithful to confess those sins and repent, that to put those sins as far away from us as the east is to the west. And we won't have that chain that he binds in sin. What about business guy, Jeff? Looks pretty strong on the outside, but maybe something's missing on the inside. Oh, he's got that eagerness, but is it in the right direction? Am I doing the things that God has called me to do? Or is my question... God must have something more for me than this. You might be today like I was then, caught on the trappings of what looks like a religious life like pious Jeff, or maybe focus too much on your strengths and abilities and not on Jesus like business guy Jeff. Either one can keep you from that rich welcome, but neither one has to. God led me to a wonderful church family that helped me grow. He provided a special woman to be my wife, blessed me with children and a good career. But that really wasn't what he had for me for the long term. So then there's Minister Jeff. In the midst of that career, I felt God calling me to do something different. So I sold my company, served him through my church for five years. Man, you can't get much more faithful than that, can you? But you know what? Sometimes in the midst of faithful serving, we fail to focus on the relationship that Jesus so badly wants us to have with him. With me, I'd remember the sins of my youth. I would remember Army Jeff, the same sins that once I came to trust in Jesus, he put us far away from the east to the west, I would remember. And Satan will fan those fears. Maybe I wasn't good enough. Maybe the chain was still there. We're told to bring our sins and burdens to the cross and leave them. Satan will have you go back and get them. A chain of guilt to bind you from all that God would have for you to be. So it's time for me to tell you about this chain, this cowbell, which I have mercifully taped where it wouldn't clang, and six young men. Six young men that grew up together in Greenwood, were great friends, were groomsmen in each other's weddings. Six guys with names, Mike, Paul, Bill, Barry, Jeff, and Stan. As I said, we grew up very close friends, got in a little mischief together. Uh, None of the convictions stood up in court. Most of them were. But we loved each other. We'd known each other since we were little. We'd grown up together. And so because of that, when we were grooms in each other, grooms in each other's wedding, at some point in the reception, we would tackle the groom. And round his neck went that logging chain and the cowbell and a padlock. And if he was smart enough or lucky enough to find the keys where we'd hidden them, he could get it off. But if not, it would stay on there for a while. Now, we weren't totally heartless. We always told the dad where the keys were hidden with the promise that he couldn't tell for several hours, just long enough to mess up the day and the night and sometimes the next day. No, no, usually it was about four hours before we got it off. The chain was passed on from man to man until the last one of us was married. But here's what we came to know about that chain. You can hide from it, 
You can run from it. You can try and ignore it, but at some point, you're going to have to deal with it. And there was always a way out. And that's the same with the chain that Satan would try and bind you with today. Psalm 107 verse 10 says, There were those who dwelt in darkness, prisoners in misery and in chains. Maybe it's the chain of sin that you never confessed to God through Jesus Christ. So your life is not what God intended it to be. Or maybe having done that, the chain you carry is the guilt Satan would have you remember that God has long since forgotten. Christmas is a wonderful time to remember that God is pursuing you. But it's also a time to understand that you have to live out the faith that he has put in you. And it's not just a short prayer, a confession, and then coast. It's trust and obey. Romans chapter 1 says we shall live by faith. In Romans chapter 2, Paul writes, He'll repay each one according to his works. Eternal life for those who by patiently doing good seek God's glory. You see, God is just not pursuing you. He's pursuing others. And you see them every day. And they look just like me. Pious, rebellious, seemingly confident on the outside, or maybe carrying baggage. And you know what? They look just like you. God may be using you at Christmas to show his expectations for others. So here's a synopsis. God calls us to make every effort to do these things. He calls us to be eager, to have an eagerness about our life as we seek to find him and to find his call on us. He calls us to do, to have an acknowledge that call, to put it into action, to take those things in our life that he would use to grow us and mold us and equip us for his good will and to put them into action. And he promises that we won't fail. He promises that he'll see us through. And having done that and come to the end of our journey, he promises to give us a rich welcome face-to-face with Jesus. And I picture it just like me coming home to little Tucker with his throwing his arms around my neck saying, welcome home. You see, the answer to that question we started with, what's the real meaning of Christmas, is found very clearly in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. A real God sending his real son to die for our very real sins. Jesus is the key that unlocks the chains that bind us. Trust him. Get to know him. Serve him with confidence. Have those expectations. The eagerness that God calls us, that expectation for us, is not just at Christmas. We focus on it at Christmas, but it's throughout the entire year. In fact, it's on that entire journey that we call life. He wants us to be certain to make the effort, and to do. Those are the very things that Satan will try and stifle with the chains of doubt. So my question for you this morning as we close, what chain are you carrying? Do you carry a chain of sin? Do you carry a chain of regret? Do you carry a chain that I'm too young to be used by God, which is not true? Do you carry the chain of I'm too old to be used by God? Today, you can lose your chain, whichever chain you carry. They don't bind you on the outside. People don't see them. They tie you up on the inside. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, if you've been caught up in that false piety or that do-it-on-my-own mentality, 
you can leave that behind today and start a new life with Christ. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. And if you've made that decision, you can come forward. We'll have ministers here to greet you, and they'll help you with that decision. Maybe you need a church home like I did to help you grow in God's grace. If so, you can come forward sharing that decision, and we would welcome you into the family of Spring Valley Baptist Church. What if your life lacks that eagerness? Maybe you, like me, continue to drag around a chain of your past around for too long. You can leave that chain behind forever as one of Satan's lies. You can come to the altar and pray, leave that baggage, and really live the life God has for you. But whatever you do, don't leave here with a chain. Fulfill the expectation that God has for you. What greater joy at Christmas than to be freed of the chains that bind us. Give it away. Give it to God. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we're thankful that your word just penetrates our spirit. And while we get so focused on the busyness of life at Christmas, let us stay focused, Father, on the purpose of Christmas. Your real son coming for us. Father, use us, equip us, grow us, that we may live out the faith you've placed in us and so that we can be a blessing to others. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and for this time today. In Jesus' name, amen.